I'm going to ask if you would, if you go with me to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we come into your presence. Only able to be in your presence because of the cross of Calvary. We come today and we exalt you. We lift your name high above every other name because of your greatness, because of your love, because of your grace, because of your mercy, because all of it was shown to us through this week. The events that we remember this week, the cross of Calvary, the rejection of mankind, the, the, the sins of the world being placed upon Jesus, our Savior, that He even became our sin, that we might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled through faith to a holy God. We praise the name of Jesus today. We come and I pray as we've gathered in this service that you would speak to us, that you would lead us, that you would deal with our hearts today. Pray that any hindrance would be removed. And I pray that today as we look at your word, as amazing as it is, that we would draw closer to you, that we would see a picture of our Savior Jesus, and that it would forever change us. We tell you we love you and we praise you. We worship you and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today we observe the Lord's Supper in obedience to Christ's command to the church. In that doing so, we would remember his death. We are to remember the truth of, we are to remember the reality of his sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary. Well, today, before we do so, I want us to see a picture this morning of Jesus painted for us by the prophet Isaiah some 700 years even before the birth of Christ. Now let me just tell you up front, it is a stark picture. It is a humbling picture of Jesus come as a man to save us as sinners. And I would urge you this morning, if you've ever wondered about the grace of God, if you have ever questioned the mercy of God, if you have ever even for a moment doubted the love of God, then I would urge you this morning to see this picture. This picture of Jesus, I believe, is the greatest paradox in the realm of creation. I believe this picture of Jesus is the greatest mystery in all of the history of time. I believe this picture is the greatest absurdity ever to be considered by human minds. And that is that Jesus, the king of all kings, would come as a lowly servant and suffer on behalf of those who have rejected his love. And so very quickly this morning, before we take the Lord's Supper and observe it, let us see this picture of Jesus. We're going to go verse by verse through this 53rd chapter in the book of Isaiah. See the picture today. The first verse says this. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In this first verse, Isaiah asks a rhetorical question. He says, who has believed our message? In the Hebrew, that word there for message could be our preaching. And so he could say, who has believed our preaching? And then he continues on and says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now the arm of the Lord, 
Those are the mighty acts of God. Those are the mighty deeds of God. And so Isaiah asks here, who has believed the word of God and who has remembered the mighty acts of God? Rhetorically, evidently, the answer is very few. In the New Testament, book of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says this. And therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Folks, 700 years before Jesus, Isaac Isaiah laments the fact that even having the word of God and even seeing the miracles of God, the Jews would miss the Savior from God. See the picture here of Jesus. Verse 2. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Isaiah says of this suffering servant from the root of David that he would come at an unlikely time. He would come at a spiritually dead time. He says that he would also come to an unlikely place. We know that place is the place of Bethlehem. And then he says this suffering servant come at an unlikely time to an unlikely place would also be an unlikely person. You look back in the Old Testament, you see where King Saul was handsome and he was admired by the people. You see where King David was also handsome and he was loved by the people. It says that this suffering servant, he would come and he would come unnoticed. Hear what this sounds like. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 says this. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David. He's coming from the root of David, which is called Bethlehem. Oh, Bethlehem, least of the princes of Judah, called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, it was, was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and, lie, and laid him in a manger, a feed trough because there was no room for them in the end. An unlikely time and an unlikely place, there is born an unlikely king. See the picture today. Verse three. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. See the picture here in verse three, this suffering servant, he is despised of men. I want you to see the full weight of that. It means he is absolutely hated. He is abhorred by men. It says he is forsaken of men. That means they abandoned him. They turned against him. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows, 
acquainted with grief. That means that he knew grief. Now see the picture here of this servant? He knew sorrow. He wasn't somehow above sorrow. He wasn't somewhere where he didn't feel sorrow. He knew sorrow. He grieved, he hurt, and he suffered. His soul was anguished. And the Bible says of this servant, and we did not esteem him. It actually means we gave him no value. He was counted as worthless. Now hold up here for just a second. Do we know who we're talking about here? We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the King of Kings. We're talking about the Lord of all the Lords. We're talking about our Savior. We're talking about eternal God, the Prince of Peace, the perfect Lamb of God. And yet we gave him no value. We counted him as worthless. In the New Testament book of John, chapter one, verse 10, it says this. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came unto his own and to those that were his own, they did not receive him. I want to tell you this morning, I, I read that and my, my heart wells up. He came and it was him and he was our savior and he came for the redemption of mankind and we counted him as worthless. And I want to say, Lord, forgive us. We didn't know. We didn't know. Forgive us, Lord. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. We esteemed you as worthless. Verse four, surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. The Bible tells us he was a man of sorrow. He was acquainted with grief, but understand today it wasn't his sorrow. It wasn't his grief. It was ours. And the Bible says he bore them. He carried them. He picks them up, and it's talking about our sins. Last week in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says this, and he himself, same words, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Verse five, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. In the New Testament book of John, chapter 19, I'm going to read some verses here. The first three verses say this. And Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Jumping down to verse 15. So they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, We have no king but Caesar. So then he handed him over to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. And there they crucified him. See the picture today? We sin and yet he is pierced. We transgress and yet he is crushed. He suffered and yet we are healed. He dies so that we might live. 
Look at verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The question is why? Why did this happen? Why must this have taken place? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25 says, For you were continually straying like sheep. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We sin and our sin is placed upon him. Again today, I want you to see the picture of this. Here he is, he's holy and he's perfect and he has every opportunity to sin, but he refrains from sin. And yet there, the perfect lamb of God takes on our sin. The vileness of our sin, the wickedness of our sin is placed on him. And the Bible says he becomes our sin. Verse seven. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. In the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 27, verse 14, it says this, and he did not answer him with regard even to a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. See the picture today. Jesus goes, and the Bible says, like a sheep before a shearer goes, he utters not a word. Now, can you imagine this? See the picture today as he's accused unjustly, as he's jerked up and punished savagely. It says here he doesn't utter not even a word of anger, not a word of defiance comes from his mouth, not even a word of defense, not a word does he utter. See the picture here. See what's going on this morning. Understand Jesus submitted to the cross of Calvary. Think about that for just a second. Think about who he is. Do you understand this morning? He could have said, no, no, I'll not do it. No, not at the hands of sinful people. No, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. Not a word does he utter. He submits to the cross of Calvary. See the picture. Verse 8. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. We know by oppression he was taken from the garden of Gethsemane. He was taken there to a judgment. We know it was a false judgment. And he suffers and he dies for the sins of those who would judge him for the sin of those who killed him. He died for the sins even of us today. New Testament book of 1 Corinthians 5, 21 says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand? He dies for those to whom death was due. He dies our death. Verse 9, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death 
because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Now understand, 700 years before Jesus is when this is written. The New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats. Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 through 60 say this. And remember, 700 years have passed. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in a rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. Verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now, I want us to see two things here in this 10th verse, two things of the servant. First, see today, he was in God's sovereign plan. He was submitting to, he was faithful to God's redemptive plan. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says, And the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth, even from the forming of the earth. And so the first thing to understand is this is and this was God's plan for the redemption of mankind. The second thing to see here, and it's very awesome, the second thing is the second part of the verse. It says this, listen very carefully. And he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now see what it's saying here. It says he will see the fruit of his suffering. That's what it's saying. He is saying that, that he will see the fruit of his suffering because he will live. You see, if he dies, because if he stays in the grave, he would have never known the fruit of his suffering. He would have never seen the fruit of his suffering. But it says that he sees his offspring. In the New Testament book of John, it says, for those who do receive him, they will be called children of God, his offspring. In the New Testament, it says, for the joy set before him, that was the joy of a people redeemed that he endured the cross. Understand what it is saying here in verse 10. It is saying 700 years before Bethlehem, 700 years before Calvary, Isaiah is making clear to us, it won't end on a cross. It doesn't end in a grave, but Jesus lives and he lives to see the fruit of his suffering. Isaiah is pointing to a resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 11. And as a result of the anguish, listen to these words, of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. And he will bear their iniquities. He comes and he becomes our sin. He dies on the cross of Calvary. He endures the cross of Calvary. He endures God's wrath poured out towards sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
Isaiah said of the servant, he will justify the many. Do you know the only way we're going to be justified is through Christ? The only hope we have of being right with the God is through Jesus Christ. And Isaiah said, he is going to justify the many. Verse 12, last verse. Therefore, it all turns. It all turns. Verse 12, therefore, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, and yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, and yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Therefore, it says, I will allot him a portion with the great. Why? Because he poured himself out unto death. See the picture here. Let me carry you to the New Testament fulfillment of this picture. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start there in the fifth verse. Listen to this. Christ Jesus, the servant has a name. The servant has a name, Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, a suffering servant, if you will, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He emptied himself unto death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, for this reason, Isaiah says, he will be given a portion with the great. And for this reason, Paul says, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, listen to me today. Jesus came and he suffered as a man and he suffered for men. He came and he was ridiculed and he was mocked and he died. He came as the suffering servant and he carried the griefs of man. He took on the sorrows of man. He became our sin and thank God for that. Praise God for that. Because of that, we're saved. But I want you to make no mistake today. Listen to me. The price has forever been paid. The cross has been finally endured. The grave has forever been indeed. And now Jesus stands and his name is the name above every name. And Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See the picture, see the picture. A suffering servant in the Old Testament, a reigning king in the New Testament. See the picture of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. 